Hey, Jeff Johnston here, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Um, have a, a super uh, exciting guest today that uh, I'd like to say I've known since my high school days, but I'd be lying to you. Um, I just just met him recently, like a lot of my guests, uh, through uh, LinkedIn primarily, but was really just pulled in by something that caught my eye. Um, Tom, I was reading your profile and you had mentioned something about uh, I don't know if it's a metaphor, if it's a true story, but someone asked you at a cocktail party, you know, what do you do? And you said something like, I get men sober. Um, that's a great way to mic drop at a cocktail party. Uh, welcome to the show. I know we're going to talk about a lot, but that's one thing that caught my eye when I first read your profile. Thanks for having me, Jeff. This is an honor and I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so do you really say that at cocktail parties? Oh, I do. Um, so I'm in Boston and, um, we have a summer house down in Westport, Mass, where my wife grew up going. And, um, it's like one of these little New England, you know, two inbred communities, uh, on the water. <laughs> and there's like this little dinky, uh, golf club, um, with a bunch of Yankees, all of them get drunk. And, uh, I've been sober 26 years and, um, good for you, man. And, uh, you know, I've been working on myself a lot and it's like, as a guy, like that's, that's the worst question ever. So I have to answer, um, what do you do? And, um, and it's usually like one of those events it's, it's after like somebody has just told me like, you know, how many millions of dollars they have and that they're the CEO of Amazon or whatever. <laughs> and like, I, um, isn't that the a, truth, though? Yeah, I uh, I had a bump in the road about five years ago where I um, had a mental health crisis, which kind of really changed my focus on uh, about everything. Right, and uh, and I finally figured out that none of that shit matters, and um, and so um, I was trying to grapple with. I, I've always been introverted. I don't. I, I I had trouble in those situations, and then you layer on top of that that I'm sober and all these people are drinking. And honestly, like I came to the point where I truly felt like my my calling in life was to help another man get sober, and you know, more recently, mm -hmm. it's to also help men get over the stigma of a of suicide, of um, you know, all kinds of stuff, mental health, uh, uh, et cetera. Um, and so when I when I first started saying that, it was the honest truth. Like that's that's actually what I was spending ninety percent of my time doing. I had like a twenty five year business career. Which right. I kind of put in the background. Then I spent, you know, ninety percent of my time like sponsoring guys in AA. Hmm. But uh, I found the most amazing thing, which was like the guy standing there with the martini, right? And he's telling you, you know, how big his nuts are, right? And I <laughs> and I say, and 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 it gets done with like just basically like machoing me out. Yeah. And I say, uh, and he says, "What do you do?" And uh, I say. Uh, uh, actually, I help guys get sober. That's what I really enjoy doing. Quiet and like my vulnerability. Right, like he thinks for a minute. It's like you what just trump. What him. the fuck just happened? Right. <laughs> yep. You you happened? just right? you went and in so, one sentence right past him. And so, like ten percent of the guys walk off. Yeah. Ninety percent of the guys, all of a sudden, they take their vest off and they're like, you know, my yeah. dad died of alcoholism. You know, my brother has a problem. You know, yeah. I actually drink too much. Like, and, and it's like, I give them permission yeah. to, to just take all that bullshit off and like, and start having a real conversation. And men need, really need that today, Tom. It's like, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm like you, I kind of wear my heart on a sleeve. Um, I'm comfortable crying in front of groups and in front of men and women and children and adults. And I think society today, men really lack that space. Uh, it's getting better. I mean, there's lots of podcasts on men vulnerability and stuff, but I still think, you know, I'm, I'm about your age and I think we try to wear this toughness, this Superman shield and um, behind that shield quite often, the person holding it is, is um, not in a good place. And I, I was there too. I, you and I shared our stories. You, you, I think you've been in darker places than me in regards to, having ideation, but you know, I had that moment almost two years ago where I didn't want to live and it was freaking terrifying, man. I never want to go back there. Um, but yeah, I think what you're doing is so admirable because you're giving men permission to have these conversations. Um, 
do you get much pushback uh, in regards to, um, probably not. I would guess most times you tell your story, you don't probably get a lot of pushback. Um, I just think that, uh, I think that, um, like I said, I, I think that actually most men have some level of awareness that the game's not working for them. Um, mm. And so, you know, most men are interested, you know, in that cocktail situation, like I have the most amazing conversations, honestly, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, all They're of a sudden we're, we're having a real conversation about real shit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, you know, 10% or maybe slightly higher number that are just so into their ego and so into the game of, you know, the guy with the most toys wins that they just, you know, it's not like they're negative. They just aren't interested or pretend they're not interested. But I think the vast majority of men at this point um, have some awareness that, you know, they're lonely, that the, that there's a, a crisis of meaning in their life. And uh, mm-hmm. they're kind of playing this charade, and it's not going to end well. <laughs> no, you it know? doesn't. And um, I think I, I can certainly speak to that quest, that thirst I had for money and status, and uh, it just became a distraction, and it was ultimately an illusion that there was so much more to the lived experience and what I was offering, and just for me to have a, a more enjoyable life, you know, and so. Um, where do you think for men our age, you know, middle, middle-aged men, where do you think that pivot happens? Where do you think a man, I know mine, you probably know yours, but when you speak to men, it's like, why does it have to take a cancer diagnosis? Why does it have to take the death of a sibling or best friend that takes their own life? Um, why does it, why do we wait to things to happen before we change our behavior or change our, our mindset? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, yeah, I mean, why, why do we, well, why do we wait for Why do we wait for midlife crisis? Right. So like, I think, well, a couple of things. One is that, uh, you know, in the addiction community, um, you know, I've been taught that, um, when I'm working with guys, like I have no idea when grace is going to occur. Right. So like the mm-hmm. same circumstances in two different men's lives could lead to vastly different outcomes you know one guy might change radically and the other guy will not and um continue to use right but i think that like life is life so hard shit's gonna happen right like Mm -hmm. all the shit you just listed like something like that will happen to all of us you know Mm -hmm. we'll have some crisis and i think it's at that moment when when men you know increasingly you know look in the mirror and they're like is this really you know, in handling this crisis, you know, I have a new perspective on what's going on and like, and what I, is what I'm doing makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I've actually just recently, again, uh, I don't remember if I were saying on or off mic, but, uh, you know, my technology ability stopped with the, uh, typewriter, the manual typewriter, but, uh, mm-hmm. I've been actually exploring, um, kind of, the. 18 to 24 year old uh, men, you know, through TikTok and YouTube and the way they communicate on video. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually encouraged. There's a lot of young men out there, like who are talking about this stuff, who are mm-hmm. like, you know, honestly trying to figure out what masculinity makes sense. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. and so in some ways, like I, I think that's the most vulnerable group. That's where the rate of suicide is going up the fastest. But at the same time, I think that, um, you know, there's an, there's an increasing dialogue amongst that group. Like this is really screwed up and we need to figure out a new, you know, paradigm paradigm for manhood. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I don't remember how much I've kind of divulged on the project we have coming this summer, our app that we're launching. Um, we're really, zeroing in on what you just said, Gen Z, which from my perspective is like 15 to 24, but technically it's like 10 or 12 to 26, but it's the, it's the largest generation in the history of the world. It's one third of the world's population is basically 12 to 26. Um, but what you just said, Tom is so true. They are the first generation of all time to have their number one new year's resolution be mental health. Um, along with that, 
they're also 37 percent uh year over year increase in obtaining mental health services so here's what's giving is a they know they have issues and they're going to get treatment but the problem is what treatment are they going to and unfortunately it's medication pharma um things that may be productive for the moment but aren't changing behavior like you know meditation's great but that's not going to change behavior um especially in the short term so going back to vulnerability which i really think is kind of your sweet spot is your ability to to t talk to other men and stuff when let's go back to young men you know one of the issues and the challenges with social media and i want to get your thoughts on that is is as 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 much as we can find some really positive things going on in with TikTok, instagram things like that the reality is a lot of adults uh young adults are you know swimming in despair because of a lot of things like imposter syndrome and bullying and it used to be when you and i had a problem with a bully at school it got settled one or two ways you know um either you stood up to the bully or you just avoided them you know and they bullied somebody else but today you can't do that you know young men go home they get on their phones and they see other young young men on YouTube making two million a year driving a Lamborghini, which we know is not their Lamborghini, but they don't know that. So there's this whole set of imposter syndrome that comes into place. How do you take something like social media you've talked about? How do you make that their ally? You know, how do how do we make that their friend? Yeah. So um, an e easy question, by the way, Tom. Yeah, I know. Um, so <laughs> I actually wrote uh, an article a little while ago that was entitled. Uh, uh greed lust and social media are destroying i saw that on your destroying the male think, right? soul yeah. um, and so like i think that um and i would kind of put those three evils right up there i mean not in judging anyone like you know we're all human beings um we all have defects right. of character but uh um but you know i think we have this false narrative that um the guy with the most money wins. Um, we have a horrible gambling problem, uh, actually. Oh, that's a whole, we, that's a whole, yeah, we could spend a whole hour yeah, on don't, that. Don't, yeah. Uh, Cause I was a compulsive gambler for most of my life. Yeah. And then, you know, we have, I mean, I think one of the biggest issues for all men is, you know, fear of intimacy and how we deal with, um, our sexual conduct mm -hmm. to put it simply. Um, yeah. and, and that, um, Figuring out how to manage our way through a world that just wants to throw um, sex in our face all the time, and mm -hmm. and that fear of intimacy, of being comfortable on our own skin, generates um, you know lustful behavior that's that's self destructive. I mean, like mm -hmm. there's no guy coming out of a strip club or a massage parlor who like feels good about himself. He does not. <laughs> um, that is true. But I think yep. those problems get. Um, exponentially worse with social media. Um, mm -hmm. And as does, honestly, um, the issue of isolation. At, at the bottom of all this um, is the data around uh, men's isolation and loneliness, um, because that's what causes the addiction. That's what causes the suicide. That's what causes, frankly, the breakdown of the human body so that you get every major disease sooner, cancer, heart disease, everything. Um, and it's what causes, uh, you know, the Gen Z to like, um, be so at risk is that they're alone and they're watching their feed and, you know, it's horrible. So like my, and I COVID, COVID didn't help. Obviously. No, COVID didn't help any of that. I mean, all the uh, suicide addiction, um, uh, suicide uh, addiction and, uh, and just, uh, uh, death from, uh, booze all went yeah. up, you know, astronomically, uh, during yep. this, during yep. that period for men. Right. So I don't think there's an easy answer, but, you know, certainly what you and I are doing is part of it, which is, you know, just like the guy, just like, you know, telling the guy at the, uh, at the cocktail party that, you know, what am I, you know, what am I doing now? I'm helping guys get sober. Like I'm trying to do that on social media as well. Mm -hmm. And so the more that we can kind of put out, you know, positive messages, you know, to our young men, you know, I think that will begin to turn the tide. Um, but I, you know, I think there's also a, a role for um, kind of education around the fact that social media really actually is harmful, <laughs> like at least yeah. as it's currently, you know, construed so that, 
you know, the amount of time that our teenagers are spending, you know, rotting their mind and, and wounding their soul by comparing themselves to false personas is, you know, just not helpful. Um, and so I, I think, edu- I think education is. is part of it. You think of the dopamine hit that a kid gets on TikTok Fucking crazy, every, man. every, every well, eight seconds. That, that article was really about the fact that all, you know, the greed, the sex, and the social media are all yeah. I mean, dopamine nation. It's all the same thing. Yeah. We're all addicts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know it's easy for, I'm 56. I know it's easy for me to say, well, you kids, but hey, hey cell phones been around at that age. You and I'd been 100%. probably equal or worse. Yeah. I, Dude, I I'm a fucking addict. First of all. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm obviously a technology addict because I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and I post and I do my radio shows and podcasts. So, yeah, I'm I'm I live and die by it as well. But I think it's it's what they're watching and what they're getting their news, where they're getting their news from. And and the the, the you know, that it's like I have one my son's friends come over and they'll be on something and I'll look and there'll be a video of, you know, a group of young men punching a 90 year old in the face and they're like replaying it five or six times. And they all, and it's just, you know, I get it. We drive by car accidents, you know, our next turn we look, but there's just something about continually watching those type of things that almost can become a prophecy, you know? You know, the thing that I, the thing that I've been actually, I haven't written on it yet cause I, I don't have enough clarity on it, but um, the thing that I find actually most troubling and that I think all of us, uh, you know, in our generation really need to think about is, you know, these boys, uh, they have some serious questions like that need to be Mm -hmm. answered. Mm -hmm. And like, who are they, who's actually addressing those questions? And right now there's a vacuum, like, and it's filled by very extremist, non-constructive men who, um, you know, some of them are currently in jail, but like, yeah. you know, who have I know exactly who you talk. Yeah, I know you're millions talking about, and millions yeah. of followers. Yeah, and you know, and at they're the some heroes. level, at some level, they are actually answering that question better than we are, right? Because that's they're why they're definitely making a better Im- an impact. They're making well, they're influencing they're, those kids. Those kids are responding because they feel yeah. like somehow they've been seen, right. and like, and so you know. I don't know if it's me or you or somebody else, but somebody's got to fill that vacuum and, and address those questions in a way that's constructive. Hmm. I don't know quite how that happens, which is why I haven't written about it yet. But I just think there has to be some alternative. Um, well, I can give you some ideas of where I think maybe some of that can come from. Is I think one part of it is this whole thing about purpose. And if you talk to young men or even young women, and let's say they're, you know, second year in college or first year, whatever, or maybe they're in high school and you were to really talk to them about their concerns that they have about their future. You know, you're going to hear things like, we don't trust your generation with what you've done with the climate, right? Um, the environment, the environment's a wreck. You know, we, we don't think we're either going to have, my kids aren't going to be around to see the planet because you guys have kind of destroyed it. And then they're going to say, well, then when I listen to dad and grandpa at Christmas, all they do is one hates Trump, one loves Trump. And it's just politics suck and everyone hates each other. And they go on to the ocean is loaded with plastics. And it's like, and you know, and then it's like college, you know, I graduate with, you know, student debt and, um, and there's no jobs and everything's expensive. And you and mommy are drunk all the time. And, you know, the reality is 70% of of parents, Tom, are paycheck to paycheck. So just relationships with money are dysfunctional for seven out of 10 kids are in a household where their parents don't have any money for whatever reason. And it's like, so that's the world that these kids are growing up in is a very distrusting, um, unfair world. And maybe you and I had the same world. We just didn't know about it. You know, it wasn't in our face all the time. I couldn't see what was going on in other countries, you know, cause we didn't have the internet. Um, so there's something about that dynamic where the speed of information is great, but it also can, maybe magnify the issues that we have collectively as a human race, things like global warming. Heck, I didn't even know. We didn't know any of that stuff in the seventies and eighties, you know, global warming wasn't even a term. Um, 
but I guess my point is back to you is that how do we put hope and inspiration? That's where I'm going with this. How do we put, and maybe, maybe it's not our obligation, but how do we show kids how to develop hope and inspiration in the world that they are viewing from? I think it's absolutely our obligation. Um, you know, I have an 18 year old son and a 26 year old son. So everything you just said happens at my kitchen table all the, all yep. the fucking time. Mine are 22 uh, and 19. So yeah. I understand. So like, and my son, uh, the 18 year old, it's like a huge, it's like, this is the generation. Like he's an amazing athlete and he's also an amazing environmental, like you know, yep. zealot. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, dad, you screwed up our, you completely screwed our, <laughs> our world. What, you know, what the hell are you going to yep. do about it? Like he's really pissed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, I don't have an answer to that one, but I do think that um, I do think hope and inspiration come from being um, brutally honest. Mm-hmm. An eight-year-old kid doesn't know, you know, the path that you know what's important in life, and the only way I've learned what's important in life is to go through all the incredible, painful joyous experiences that I've had, you know, in the last 35 years. Right. Do we allow our kids to do that though? I mean, do we, as parents coddle them and protect them and keep them away from these things? We coddle them too much, but all I'm saying is that I think there is wisdom, right? Like I have, absolutely. I have wisdom in the fact that, you know, like I finally have come to the point in my life where I really don't give a shit what you think about me because I actually have something in my soul that's way more valuable. And, and I think we've that's, made more mistakes than we've had right decisions, you and I, over the years. A hundred percent. Yeah. But that therein yep. is the opportunity. And you right. know, honestly, like I would tell you that I'm, for me, I'm, you know, grateful for my mistakes because they got to me where, mm-hmm. got me to where I am. I'm grateful that, I, you know, five years ago I was locked up in a psych ward because if I hadn't done that, right. I hadn't like worked through the God of honest truth of what was going on in my life. I'd still be in denial. I'd still be living a, a fake life. Um, what got you? What got you? I, I'm curious just to jump on that for a second. Cause you, you shared that with me when we first met this first time our listeners have heard that, um, go back to that moment. And, and a, you know, were you aware of the magnitude of your psychological, uh, challenges at that point? Now, now you are in hindsight, but when you were going through it, were you, were you cognizant that, that this is something that wasn't, quote normal and then how how did you get out of it i mean how did you get yourself to where you are today from just five or six years ago being in that in that ward yeah so i gotta kind of back up a little bit on that um so uh like i said i got sober 26 years ago i got thrown out of the house uh with two little kids because i was drunk and a cheat Mm -hmm. and uh while at the same time i was a cfo of a really big company um so like i had everything uh, I had a yeah. beautiful house, beautiful wife, big job, the whole nine yards uh, on the outside. And on the inside, my soul was completely um, destroyed. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did get sober um, and I uh, I earned the right. I got sober actually in 1996, December 28th, because my ex-wife had said, like, in order for you to see these kids who were my kids were um, six months and two years old at the time you're going to need to get sober. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to let you near them. And, uh, that Christmas, I didn't see my kids, um, because I wasn't sober. And, um, so on the 28th of December, 1996, you know, I realized I had a fundamental decision to make and, um, you know, which was to either like kind of keep drinking and go down this path of slow suicide Mm -hmm. or ask for help. Um, and so I chose to ask for help and, uh, that's the last day I had a drink. And uh, I gradually earned the right to uh, see my kids over time. Um, I like to say that, uh, you know, for me, uh, spirituality is really important. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, one of the turning points in my life was uh, when I finally earned the right to have my kids uh, overnight. Um, I never had joint custody with my hmm. with my two big kids, but I did finally earned the right to have them overnight. And, um, my son, my, my daughter's the older Carrie and my son Seamus is, was the baby. And I was feeding my son, uh, a bottle. He's still that young, um, for the first time in my, uh, bachelor pad, um, at night. And I, uh, I just, the feeling of his heart against my heart and mm. him falling asleep 
I'm like, you know that smell of a baby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And um, I just looked down on my son and I was like, the drinking and the womanizing and the greed and all my professional success yeah. meant shit compared to this kid in my arms. And so I, I dedicate, I committed myself at that point to be the best sober father I could be. That's and I've tried. Man. I mean, I've tried. I'm <laughs> highly, highly imperfect, but I've given it my best well, shot. That makes two of us, but that's beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely, you had your epiphany moment. Um, yeah. So then I, uh, six years sober, I got remarried. I had another kid. Um, so I have three. And I hadn't lost my, uh, uh, I completely ruined my personal life, but I hadn't lost my professional life. So I was mm. very successful. Okay. And like, you know, I started, I started a venture capital firm, you know, I'm a big swinging dick. Yeah. And so I, that humility and connection with God, um, and, you know, connection with a network of people, men who were, you know, a good influence on my life, um, faded. And, uh, you know, I just kept, uh, my ego kept growing back, honestly. And, uh, it got to the point where, and I was also, I was, I wasn't a gambler, uh, in the casino, but I was certainly a gambler in terms of my investment strategy. And so, um, superficially, um, I started to have, uh, panic attacks about six years ago. Um, when I was on mm. vacation with my friend, and if you ever had a panic attack, you don't know what the hell it is. You think you like gonna, you think you have a heart attack. It's miserable. And superficially, I was worried about money. It was, it was, a, it was about all these risky investments I had, and I knew that they were stupid because I had made a ton of money, and there was no reason for me to have to risk, yeah, risk it all again. But I had, and like I could right. definitely see how I could go, I could go bankrupt, you know. Um, so I tried at that point to get help. And like, it didn't work. I was like, the momentum downhill was too fast. And so for me, like I, I was meditating one day at my house and I realized that, uh, I had a very concrete plan to kill myself that day. Um, I called my sister who was a therapist and, uh, she came over and walked me to the ER and, um, wow. went to one mental hospital, did not work, went to McLean, which is an amazing facility. And, I was like, complete surrendered, you know, give me whatever you got. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it was there that um, I started to get a little better, you know, and uh, mm. I stopped wanting to kill myself and I got out of there uh, almost exactly five years ago. And I went to a group of men and like told them exactly what had happened. And uh, one of those guys, um, you know, helped me through a recovery process where, um, I had to take a really hard look at myself and do a bunch of work. And then I had to go back out and like make amends with all the people I had screwed over with my ego, you know, my in-laws, my ex-wife, my yeah. business partners. And like, that's where it all changed for me. Like I had a business part, a venture, you know, one of my partners in my venture capital firm where I walked in and like, I had a script because like I had worked, you know, with the guy who was mentoring me. Um, about like making sure that I wasn't going to blame the other person and I wasn't going to make excuses for being a dick. And uh, I get two sentences into this thing and this guy's like, you know, very buttoned up Yankee, whatever. And um, guy starts bawling. Wow. Because he's like, I never in a million years thought you would admit what a fucking asshole you've been to me. Right. And, and, that's um, and, man. and so that those kinds of experiences is what turned me around. So did you ever use uh, AA, for example? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I was. I guess I've seen, boy, AA is another whole topic you could spend an hour on. Um, I've seen a lot of people that swear by it. I see a lot of people that swear at it. Um, what's your thoughts on the effectiveness and of AA? I, I think whatever works for you is fine. And I don't really have uh, any corner on um how men should get better other than i think you got to look deep inside um and i think when it comes to addiction um i don't think medicine has an answer so i, I do I, think I that, there, that 
wholeheartedly. I do think that, um, at least for me and the men that I know, there has to be some some miracle, some spiritual intervention that um, that comes into play. Um, You're I, the second person today. I just had lunch with a gentleman. We had the same conversation. He's been in recovery. Um, similar story. And he mentioned the spiritual angle probably six or seven times. So I do want to stop you on that for a moment and talk about that because that again is a whole nother show. Um, because there's a confusion, I guess, in how we define what spirituality means and not that there's a right or wrong, but I think there's just a, we throw words around sometimes without really clarifying now, full disclosure, I am agnostic. Um, so I'm not, uh, I, I simply just don't know. And I'm op- I'm really open-minded. I'm curious to learn. Uh, I'm not an atheist, but, but I'm, I'm, an atheist claims that they, they for sure know there isn't a God. I just don't know. I'm not smart enough. I haven't had any experience where the clouds parted and somebody came into my brain and said, I, here I am. I'm here to say, I've never had that experience. I've how do you feel moments. about, how do you feel about the laws of nature? You know, how I feel is an opinion based on my intelligence level. Um, I, I, I'm interested in these things. I, I had a psychology minor. Um, I constantly talk and watch podcasts on science. I'm, I'm kind of consider myself a skeptic yet. It's hard for me to think that there isn't another layer to what's going on with our lived experience that maybe we don't even know as humans how to comprehend it as us as in me and you and everybody else. I don't think you even need to think that there's another layer. I think you can just acknowledge the fact that the, the laws of nature are greater than you. Oh, ha- like, hands down. And, so you're, and I think you know, just you're not the one, you're yeah. not the one like who's going to stop the wave or like, you know, stop the no. tides or no, but That's I've enough. had, I've had, a, That's enough. I've had a few you believe, you yeah. believe in something, right? Yeah. And really lack of belief is still a belief. Um, but so, the reality is, is that I am so comfortable with the fact that if you are a st- extremely, quote, religious person, let's just say a Catholic, and that's your doctrine, that's what you grew up, that's the house you went to, that's, that's kind of what was explained to you when you were a child. That's what you really believe in your heart. You've even had moments where you, you've seen God. As, as long as at the end of the day, you're, you're a good person, you're, you're morally correct, uh, or, or, you know, you're making good decisions for the benefit of mankind and you're not an asshole and, and you know, you, you're human, you make mistakes. That's great. Or if you're an atheist and, and, and you're overly a good person and you, and you don't, you know, you're not an asshole. I know assholes on both sides of the fence there very well. Um, and so to me, it's like, I, I don't really care what you believe in as long as your behavior is in line with humanity at the best interest of humanity. And so I think you could be both and be very spiritual. I'm spiritual. And, and right. I, so I use me, that word. Let me stop you. I use that so word I, every day. I love all that right, word. So let me, let me tell you where I'm at, which is this, which is that, um, uh, I'm not religious in any way, shape or form. I was no brought up Quaker, which is kind of not even religion. <laughs> Quaker. Uh, you're, you're the first one I've yeah. ever say that on a podcast, but, but I, um, I believe in God and I believe in God with a small G. I don't believe in like some guy with uh, white hair up in the heavens. I believe yeah. in a force, a life, like force. a collective universe, like us. Yeah. And so, and so for me, um, that's the guiding principle of my life. It has to be because mm-hmm. like, if it's not that it's, it's my ego and my ego gets me in shit tons of, of trouble. Um, and so I need to understand that like, I am not, the center of the universe. I am not. And so, and so all my character development, all my self um, examination, all my amends work, whatever, all my work with all my service work with other men um, is all driven by a belief in that life force. And, um, when and you know, I, I meditate like, what like a, what crazy. Age, I do, do you remember what age you were when you kind of had that, that um, realization? Oh, I had, well, Dude, when I'm like CFO of a company running around cheating on my wife, drinking my brains out, there was no realization about any of that stuff. Um, Mm. It came to me in part when I got sober and then went away and then came to me on the floor of that fucking psych ward. 
you know, where I was yeah. like, shit, I got to figure this out. And then honestly, yeah. it really came to me through the work on myself of the last five years, which is right. the healing in myself so that I no longer hated myself. And I felt, you know, I felt good about myself and I felt like I had something to offer another man. And so that I, instead of focusing on myself all the time, I focused on service to like get that next guy sober. You know, that's my guiding. That's my calling. I love it. But I, 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 it. I think, I, th I think you got to try not to confuse. Um, you know, I don't think you're actually an agnostic. I think we're actually <laughs> are very close in our beliefs. Uh, so like, I think, I think you can get tripped up by religion and, you know, yeah. so this is my view, which is that if you really look closely at all religion, they're all saying pretty much the same thing. And there are many people who follow those faiths, you know, who get a lot out of it and are, like right. you said, do good work. And there's a lot of, you know, human, um, you know, structure that has done a lot of damage. And, mm. you know, if you go look at, you know, some of the scholars like Richard Rohr, for instance, who's a very, devout catholic priest mm -hmm. he would say that catholicism is generally not practiced the way that jesus wrote about it in the bible hmm. I because can see that. because what jesus intended was what i'm talking about right. not you know i mean i we were just recently in the vatican and my son oh, cool. my uh, my older son it happens to be very catholic yeah. And um you're walking around there and you're like, is this what Jesus was talking about? I've been there I too. Mean, yeah, like, I, really? I know. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like yep. the Sistine Chapel, that's what this is what we're talking about. Humility right. and like, you know, hanging out with the people who are sinners and sufferers. Like, I don't yeah. think so. I really don't think so. Yeah. So I, I think religion can get far off track. And um which isn't to say that I don't allow anyone to practice whatever the hell faith they want. Yeah, But to me, it's about spirituality. That's what saved my life. And that's, you know, to me, like, what's so important, um, you know, to talk to our boys about in terms of, like, you know, you have to, you if you're running around trying to get that Ferrari or that Maserati or, like, that stripper girl, that's a religion, too. That's a faith, too. And it's mm -hmm. a really fucked up one. It's not going to help you. Yeah, you said something that really hit close and you said something you said the word ego and there's something about what i call the death of ego and um a lot of people talk about this uh, different experiences they've had in their lives about you know the moment my ego died is where you know i was born and i think you know with with age comes wisdom and i think when i look back on my life and look at moments that i thought were you know i was chasing the right things like you just talked about um, ego got in the way always. Uh, and, and I think the moment that I realized that, you know, that there's, there's more to this lived experience than what I know and what I've even experienced. I mean, substantially more. And I'm just really excited about the future of learning more about these things. But, you know, again, for me, agnosticism isn't, you know, I guess it is a belief. It's more of an admit admittance that I don't know what's going on. That's my belief is that, I, if I said I knew what's going on, I know in my heart, I'd be lying. Cause I have never, I've never had any evidence revealed to me that would show that I can validate that. But I like to think that when I'm gone, Tom, that I don't just turn in the dust and wilt away that there's some, something to do with the collective consciousness of the universe where each of our little consciousness goes into a bigger consciousness. And maybe that is where this whole thing plays out. I, I don't know. It's, very interesting. Yeah, well, look at it this way. So, like, I have these, like, very theological conversations with my son who's, like, the, you know, hardcore, um, he's a Jesuit, but he's a Catholic. And um, mm -hmm. we come, we agree on this, which is that, um, which I think is really what you're talking about, which is that um, if there is a God, I don't, he, you know, there's, the power is so great that I can't understand him or her. True. And so, like, what you're saying is, like, you don't know, like, how this all works. I sure as hell don't know how all this works. Yeah. You know, so like we're saying the same thing. I don't, I really in the don't meantime, think it's different. But in the meantime, we can be good people, right? I mean, that, that's the thing. Well, it's like, while I, we're, I, I choose, I would call faith, my faith, 
is the belief that 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 whatever that power is that I can't really understand is positive. Yeah, I believe I it's good. positive. I like that. I, I like believe that. that like if I that, I like lo- that it's love. I feel like it's right. love. Like that is that is whatever the God force is is that, and that's what our boys don't have. Is they don't like have that. that connection of love. Right. And let me just go back to the ego thing, which is that I don't. It's not one and done. You know, it's not the death of the ego and then all you're, you're cured, right? Understand that, yeah. And so, like, for me, what's so important is to have a group of men around me who hold me accountable. And so, like, every mm-hmm. day is a fight. And, and like, particularly, you know, if I'm out there, like, you know, writing shit and, like, trying to, like, get the message out there, you know, in service, I need to be damn sure that like, that's not, there's not like a sneaky little way that my ego is getting in there. And so those men have to hold me accountable and they, and they do, they say like, dude, you're like, you're off track. You got to check yourself there. And, um, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, there's so much, there's so much about what you just said that I know is intentional, but if you really dig deeper, there's where I think, some help could be for the young men in this country. And it's, you've said it a couple of times it's in service. There's something about it being in service of others with really no expectations. Like you, like you're not going to go say, Hey, I volunteered at a nursing home and go post it on social media. That, that becomes an ego play. Then uh, it, it could be good. It could be people that could look at that and replicate that. And that's, that's powerful. If someone says, Hey, I can do that too. But a lot of that turns into just self-promotion. But I think there's there's something we can do as adults to, well, first show show our kids by what doing it, right? Being example. I think if you're in service, I'm in service, our children watch dad, you know, that's I was an alcoholic, so are you. I've had suicidal ideation, so have you. I mean, our stories are very similar, Tom. But if our kids can see what we're doing now in service, truly, genuinely in service of others without expectations of, of reciprocating. It does happen. It's just, that's part of how it works. You do something good for people that it tends to come back at you, but do it without that expectation. I think there's something that we can do for our kids, our young men in this country, instead of trying to figure out a way to find your purpose, just start doing things for other people. And it may or may not reveal itself eventually. It may not reveal itself immediately, but I have to think if you're in service enough, it'll reveal itself eventually, you know, what's yeah, your thoughts I, you on, know, I think that, that does like, you know, my big son's in the army and you know, his whole life is about service. Um, yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, my younger son really understands it. Uh, I mean, we, I had my 58th birthday in December and like we had a dinner party and I had 10 guys over who are all in their thirties and like trying to get sober. That was my birthday party. And my son See, was there. I think that's he, beautiful. He, I think that's saw, awesome. And I love these guys. I love them. Yeah. Also, I had the greatest time of my life. But uh, yeah, so I think that there's uh, there's something there. I think the, the other thing that comes to mind is uh, there's this uh, book, uh, uh, Boys and Men by Richard Reeves, came out recently. And it's really the best book I've read. He's a pure academic. He's like just looking at the data. Mm-hmm. There's no political agenda about it at all. And uh mm-hmm. But one of his ideas is that um, what we really should do is have national service for our boys. Um, with the idea that like they're so siloed, mm-hmm. and that what they need is to like interact with each other and interact with with kids who are not, boys that are not like them. And so it almost mm-hmm. doesn't even yeah. matter what they do. Like, like you right. can send them out into like a you know a horse farm and have them like clear brush. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But if they're out there together talking to each other and interacting with each other, you know, magic will happen and their minds will expand from like sitting there on their phone, you know, by themselves and getting all these negative like bullshit messages. Well, then there's a proliferation of people kind of taking advantage of that window of opportunity. And one is, you know, some, I won't mention his, I won't dignify him by mentioning his name, but he's in jail right now, some foreign country, but you know, he's filled a void, like you said, for young men that are looking for something. But then you got people like Jordan Peterson, you know, who kind of came onto the spotlight really from a, you know, his, his initial claim to fame was something really nothing to do with what he's doing now. 
but he was a disruptor and got real, real popular with what he was doing up there in Canada. And now he's kind of gravitated towards saving young men. That seems to be a lot of what he talks about. Uh, his recent book, I think it's what the 12 rules of life or something very heavily geared towards, um, young men, but you know, so there are people coming in kind of filling that void. And I just didn't know if you keep an eye on some of these people out there that are, you know, I, I think their intentions are all good, but sometimes I, I question maybe, maybe, um, the way they're doing it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I only have limited exposure to Jordan Peterson. Um, what I have seen, I just think that sometimes, um, people like to simplify things and try yeah. and be very rigid about it. And, um, you know, boys are suffering, so they're looking for anything to hold their head on. And, um, and so they can be easily misguided. And so like what I've seen from him, like some of it's benign, some of it's not benign and just right. dead wrong. And so right. on balance, I don't think it's helpful. Um, and I don't think that, um, I don't think it's kind of the thoughtful approach that actually solves the problem. I think it's just like a bandaid um, and can be damaging at times. Um, so I, you know, I think we need, like I said, I think we need alternate, alternate voices and alternate structures to get to our boys in ways that um, are a lot deeper than that. Um, I don't think that Jordan Peterson is going to solve any problems. Put it that way. <laughs> no. Um, no. So, no. you know, I, whether it's national service or, um, education or, you know, different ways for, uh, men to, um, mentor boys. Um, I don't really yeah. know what the answer is, but there has to be a kind of more substantive, uh, response, um, than kind of this disruptor social media, you know, guys who, I mean, at the end of the day, they're all just making a buck, honestly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they come in guns a blazing, you know, we have the widget to solve all problems. And, uh, you know, that, that, that dies out pretty quick and some of them are sustainable for a while, but, you know, just, it kind of goes back to some core things that weren't a whole lot different than when you and I were kids and that's connectivity, you know, just intimate relationships. You know, I think, I don't know if this is a correct statement or not, but I think, you know, young men today are having, you know, they're less intimate with, with, their sexual partners. There's, there's less of that going around than it was. Well, when porn I has ruined everything. I mean, porn that's what I mean. So, so it's like young, I mean, yeah, young men are just, they're, they're they girlfriend is sex porn. porn and yeah. Like they're, they're trying to replicate right. that, which is completely dysfunctional. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. honestly, I, it, it's honestly, uh, just as an aside, like it's not good for the boys. It's horrible for the girls, but right. The boys aren't, I mean, you know, the, the part of sex that's good is that the other person is actually into you and like enjoying you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It isn't all so about like you. You're, yep. If you're using them, like it's not enjoyable. Yeah. Like you may right. think it's like macho, but like it's, it's, yeah. it's actually not. Um, and so it's like missing the point. Um, but that's, that's another elephant in the room that just doesn't get discussed when I go to mental health conferences or I go to zoom meetings with, 20 advocates and we talk, I mean, there's like two things that never come up and that's, you know, the, the lack of actual human intimate uh, relationships being replaced with pornography. And then, um, you know, the financial, the, the, the relationship with money is just not discussed. And, you know, you've got, again, a third of the world's population where in the next two years, they're going to have four times the purchasing power Gen Z does than they have today they're gonna have a lot of disposable income and they're gonna have a lot of opportunities to do 401k through payroll deduction, to do Roth IRAs, to, you know, build a credit score up to, um, you know, ha have a credit card and understand how it works. They're gonna have a lot of opportunities here in the next two years. And the problem is most of them are just woefully unprepared for the simplest aspects of, of finances, uh, that are not taught in schools. Um, they're just not, and they're not taught by their parents because 70% of the parents are broke. So where's it going to come from? I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, I mean, the title of the article is, uh, sex, greed, and social media is, is, uh, just crushing the male soul. Yeah, well, it's that, sex and money. It, I mean, honestly, with the guys I work, the adult guys I work with, that's what it comes to. I mean, even if they're drug addicts or booze addicts or gambling or whatever, like, in the end, it's like how, what is your relationship to sex and money? And like, that's what we need to teach our boys is like, 
what is a healthy relationship with sex and money and and be educated like you said like you know there's a there's a there's a a whole literacy around money that's not being um you know given our boys and there's really a literacy around sex and intimacy and mm. and love i mean again it's like sex is about love it's not about porn i mean i'm sorry yeah. but like and so that we need to we need to get that information um to our boys which is that you know none of this is you know it's it's not a winning strategy like going for the lamborghini and like you know hooking up with the stripper is just not a winning strategy in life like you may think it is but it's not um and so i you know i think there are ways to um educate and reach boys um but you know it's a I'm really worried. I mean, well, it's one a huge thing, problem. One thing will certainly help, and this is the um, one of the wonderful things about social proof is, I think, to really make a, a change is it's gonna it's gonna come from kids to kids. Yeah, find the find the Gen Zers that are, you know, out there doing what you and I are talking about right now. We're, we just sound like two old men right now. <laughs> um, you know, we do. I mean, if my, if I, if we were in a group of 17 year old boys, they'd say, look at these two old pros. Yeah. I mean, shit, you know, they're, they're out chasing girls and we're talking about sex being love. And they're like, Oh, screw that. You know, I'm not interested in that. I get that. But if other kids, their age, were saying the same message you and I are saying, it, it goes on different set of ears. It goes on deaf ears if it comes from you and me. But I think, I really think there's an opportunity for those Gen Zers that are doing mental health advocacy that are talking about, relationships and money and these things, but they're 17, 18, 19, 20, and they're out there. I talk to them every day. I think if we could give them a platform through what you're doing, what I'm doing, what other adult mental health advocates are doing, if we can somehow get these kids a platform where they could kind of do our work for us, we can fill them up with our wisdom, but they take the message to the kids. I, I think there's a really big opportunity for something like that. And I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of ours for the taking. Um, it's out there. And I think that's one way, one way we can get, you know, I know, I know for me, when I was that age, I was more likely to accept something from a peer as being more impactful to me than if my dad told me, even though my dad was a doctor, uh, he's still my dad, you know, or if my dad's neighbor told me it didn't mean the same. Um, and this is my big concern in my own, my only concern I have with, advocates that go to schools and give presentations and they're, you know, they're 56 year old guys in recovery. I hate to tell you, I don't know how effective that is to a group of 18 year olds in a high school. Um, scared, straight, scared straight, or whatever that was, didn't work too well, uh, back in the eighties when I was listening to those lectures, it'd be nice if we could get an army of kids to go to schools, tell the same message. They're not going to have maybe the wisdom, but you know what? Tom, my, my 19 and my 20 year old, they have buried an older brother. They have buried a mother. They've seen a dad, alcoholic dad, a compulsive gambler, dad. You don't think that's wisdom. I mean, shit, that that's a lot of life experiences at 19 and 22 years old. There are kids out there that I think have the capabilities of telling the same message you and I are telling, but maybe have a better impact. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? So two things. One, a hundred percent agree that we need to put front and center peers. Um, so actually, uh, as you know, like I've moved all my stuff to Substack, and so like actually my yeah. article tomorrow um, is highlighting two of those guys who I really admire, who are Gen Z, who are like doing awesome stuff on all these. How issues. do people reach your Substack real quick? Uh, Thomas Matlack uh, on Substack. M A T L A C K. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But anyways, uh, so I'm just highlighting two guys who I found in my journeys who I think are like, you know, one of them is a comedian and he's just hilarious. That's awesome. And he's like, you know, 23. And um, and he's also, you know, unlike me, he has all the technology. So his shit looks really good. <laughs> um, right. So there's that. And so I totally agree that we need to like put that front and center. But I also think that, you know, you can't underestimate like how much a true message does resonate, uh, res resonate. Um, so like I have been 
uh, on Instagram. I'm not anymore, but I, I have been and kind of just saying the shit I've been saying to you. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in a slightly more articulate way. I don't know, but, uh, mm-hmm. my 18 year old son's friends all follow me hmm. and they all, you know, and a couple of them don't have that, don't have dads admittedly, but like, I, yeah. and like, I talked to my son about it. And I'm like, how do you feel about that? And I'm like, dad, my friends think you're the shit. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, you're the bomb, Tom. Right. You're the bomb. I'm like, and I'm like totally honest on there. I, I talk about all this shit on there. I'm like, that's great. like somebody's actually fucking telling the truth to me and like no one else is. So I, I think there's a, I think you might underestimate the power of, you know, true yeah. soul honesty. And really, if you talk to any mom or dad that goes to high schools and gives presentations, I think, you know, when they walk away, they say, if I helped one kid, right? you right. know, and that's, that is at the end of the day, that's all I'm trying to do every time I, have a podcast. If one person watches our conversation today and something happens, whether they become spiritual or they decide to go to AA or whatever, or they decide to check into a psych ward to try to help somebody. That's a courageous move. That's courageous. try Try and help somebody. I mean, I think service is like for, for those kids, I think that, that uh, ability to get out of themselves, like that's a virtual virtuous cycle because I think, once you start thinking about someone else, I mean, it's, it's, you know, called enlightened self-interest, which is like, it feels mm-hmm. really good to help somebody else. Like, I mean, you're does, like, man. shit, I want to do that more. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing is better. And for anybody watching this podcast, I love direct messages, handwritten notes. Uh, I used to keep like a thing on my wall when I launched my book a couple of years ago and I saved all, and now I got, I got so many, I actually just took it down because I couldn't read any of them. But yeah, there's just no monetary value you can put on. Yeah, the reason why I help guys get sober, it's 100% selfish, which is that. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I start understand. With one, I start, uh, start working with a guy who is completely fucking hopeless. Like, his life is gone. And then over a period of time, not always, like, I have a portfolio of guys because, like, addicts sure. like to go out, but, like, a yeah. portfolio of guys and the ones who, you know, who get it. Like the light goes on in their eyes. Like I just mm-hmm. went to a wedding of a guy who like actually relapsed halfway through my working with him, but he's got his shit together and he had, you know, has uh, two kids and, you know, was getting married and like, I was a witness to it. And I got to tell you, like watching the joy in that guy's face is like a thousand times better than any freaking deal I ever closed as a venture capitalist. Like, or any the joy of my bottle heart. Of- any expensive bottle of wine you cracked open. Well, you know? It's like, you know, that's the real deal. And I, and I think, you know, young men can, you know, mon- young men will experience, can experience that and, and access that kind of virtual uh, cycle. Yeah. And they'll emulate us. And I, I don't say us as in like you and I are anointed some great humans, but I think if they see what you're doing, what I'm doing, other adults are doing for after what we've been through, you know, to say, you know, I'm doing all these things now because of what happened to me five, six years ago. Um, when they look at their own life lives, they may not have the perspective of time, like six years to a 18 year old is third of their life. It's like, maybe, maybe for them, they can look backwards six months, maybe look back a year and they can say, man, if Tom did this, if Jeff did this, you know, my grandpa just died. I can do it too. Or I just put our pet down. I can do it too. Or I got a girlfriend cheated on me. I, 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 I can do this too. It's like, I think, like you said, I think maybe I'm my own worst, worst critic, but I think I need to give myself more credit that every time I repeat the story, there, there's somebody listening that I may never hear from that decided to make a change in their life. And for well, that, I'm grateful. I would go back to the idea that you don't know when grace is going to happen because like, I also view it as planting a seed. It doesn't necessarily come up at that moment, but like maybe you talk to that kid and he's a total jerk and like, doesn't listen to you at all, but he, something registers in his brain and like six months later or five years later, he's in a situation and it comes back to him and he Mm -hmm. decides he's like, wow, you know, Tom or Jeff was right about that. Um, 
and and that your work, you know, that seed comes to fruition at some point later on that you don't even you don't even see it, you don't know, but but you've had an impact. Well, listen, dude, this has been a fast hour. I just looked and we're right at 60 minutes. Um, so to wrap this up, how do people reach you if there's anyone listening that wants to be a part of your program to you know follow talk to you whatever what what are the best ways for people and i'm going to have all your link when this posts i'm going to have all your links so people can get everything but yeah i mean the probably the most direct i'll i'll talk to anyone on email so people can email me to get more information and it's thomas t-h-o M-A-S, Matlack, M-A-T-L-A-C-K, all one word, at gmail.com. You can also look for me on, like I said, um, Substack, and it's just Thomas Matlack on Substack as well. Uh, two best places. Well, listen, man, I enjoyed the conversation. Um, I, I, I have a feeling you and I will be able to collaborate down the road on more things as we you know, build out our initiatives. But thanks very much for being on the Living on a Turd podcast. And, um, I really appreciate your time, man. Namaste. Big love. Namaste. You bet. Back at you.